So we believe that surely China would be amongst the top three markets in the world when it comes to coffee consumption very soon. The Chinese people, actually, I must say, their taste bud is very sophisticated. They really can appreciate the taste. I think I got some figures like in Shanghai after COVID-19. In one month, they opened like more than 60 coffee shops just in one city alone. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, editor-in-chief of coffee business magazine, Fifth Wave. Today, we're turning the spotlight to China. The Chinese coffee market is growing rapidly in many surprising ways. Like many things in China, a lot has changed in a very short period of time. Only 10 years ago, drinking coffee in China was seen as an aspirational thing. And visiting a modern coffee shop suggested that you were embracing Western sophistication. But a lot has since changed. We're seeing billion dollar valuations for startup coffee companies, breathtaking numbers of new cafe openings, and a population who, because of a strong tea culture, already have a taste for hot beverages. If you ask me, the Chinese coffee market is a machine that you just can't ignore. We'll be speaking with Jeremy Chang, a two-time Chinese barista champion and coffee roaster, and Gordon Chang, general manager for La Mazzocco. But we're going to kick things off with the big end of town by speaking with Shakir Moin, chief operating officer for Costa Coffee. Costa Coffee operates 300 retail stores across China after entering the market in 2006. And you may be surprised to know that Costa is now owned by Coca-Cola. Shakir explains how Costa is becoming a total coffee company, offering coffee anywhere that somebody wants it, from retail stores to push-button fully automatics to ready-to-drink cans and premium instant coffee. Shakir himself is a very well-traveled and experienced operator. Originally from Pakistan, he joined the Coca-Cola company in 1996 and worked in China and across Asia for the best part of 20 years. As you'll soon hear, the scale of opportunity in China and the speed at which it's moving is simply breathtaking. Delighted to have Shakir Moin, who's the Chief Operating Officer for Costa Coffee. Welcome, Shakir. Thanks, Jeffrey. Pleasure to be with you. So any sort of ideas for how big this Chinese market could be for a brand like Costa in terms of retail stores? Jeffrey, I, I, I wish I could answer that question in a way where it wouldn't come to bite me because no matter what I would tell you about China, one thing I know is I would be wrong. And, right. and let me premise this by saying this. I've been in and out of China since early 2000. In 2013, coffee was growing, but it was on a very small base. So you could not find coffee beyond you know, the tier one cities in China. The ready to drink segment was very small. And just in that time from 2013 now to 2021, it is a incredibly dynamic market with multiple players coming in across all segments and formats. So one of the things that we've started to look at is that instead of looking at the historical trends and you know doing linear projection and forecast, we just look at the size of the opportunity. 1.4 billion consumers and they're getting more used to the taste of coffee and they're getting used to it faster than some of the other beverage categories uh, that are enjoyed in China. So we believe that surely China would be amongst the top three markets in the world when it comes to coffee consumption very soon. So the, the difficulty in predicting where China's going is it, it's just moving too fast, changing too fast. It's such a dynamic market. Is that safe to say that? 
It is absolutely fair to say that. And there are two phenomena always in China, right? First is the overall speed of China. We, we call it China's speed. We run a global business and China is on a very different speed scale than everyone else. But then within the speed, there is flux as well. You know, how the consumer patterns are changing. So if, if you visualize, Jeffrey, you know, this is the market that pretty much anchored this idea of a super app. Now you have 900 million people on the WeChat app and everything happens on that app. You know, when people are ordering yeah. something, they're searching for information to making payments. And there is no other phenomena as prevalent as WeChat anywhere else in the world. I was reading this, Devo, yesterday in, in one of the recent books that have come out on, on artificial intelligence. And it was talking about that apparently one of the big platforms here in the U.S. on, on mobile payment ends up doing a billion payments a month. And in China, it's a billion payments a day. Yeah, That's the scale. And that's not only because of the, just the size of the population, but because of the adaptability of innovation by consumers. So I think within that China speed and the difficulty in predictability is that elements of not only the overall speed, which is difficult for anyone to fathom, but the flux within what is happening in the dynamics of consumption. Could you give our audience a little bit of background on how many tier one cities are there in China and how many two tier cities approximately? The big tier one cities are roughly about 10 to 15. Right. And then when you go into tier two cities, they're about next to 40. But our estimation is that between tier one, tier two, and the top end tier three cities is roughly 400 million consumers. Wow. But these 400 million consumers are also, they are the middle income phenomena is pretty much there. They have money in the pocket. They're open to experimentation. What are some examples of how you might have to adapt a coffee offering for the Chinese market? Uh, I'll, I'll give you a recent example. Our China team ended up going into the market around end of March, early April with our ready-to-drink proposition. Actually, in the middle of COVID, now that ready-to-drink formulation uses our signature Mocha Italia blend, but we had to understand the Chinese taste. The Chinese consumers are still getting used to the acidity of coffee. They find it a little bit harsh. So we had to dial up the milkiness of the coffee to make sure that it masks some of the acidity. So we crafted that. We had to be very purposeful on why we're doing this because, you know, developing new products all the time for new countries is, is not very efficient. But, you know, we had to do the right thing for the consumers first. Mm. We launched it. And I have to say, if I don't get my facts wrong, probably it is the fastest growing ready-to-drink coffee right now in China. Luckin seemed to put the model of the dark kitchen models sort of on the agenda. It certainly created sort of the idea in, in people's mind all around the world about e-commerce order delivered to your home, perhaps from dark kitchens. Do you see that trend continuing? We see that trend continuing, Jeffrey. Now, what Luckin did to their credit, minus you know, some of the challenges they faced later on, was they created a fundamentally a delivery-based business or a pick-and-go business and tapping into this massive delivery culture or the bike culture that's in China where you can get things delivered to you or you can deliver something to someone else. So it's very accessible now. Now, I, I think that is what, what that is leading to is the increase or the rise of the overall consumption curve of coffee. Because suddenly, you know, you can now have a coffee in your hotel, in your office, in places where classical coffee shop would not be accessible this delivery culture was already really threaded through the Chinese culture. And then it was a natural thing for someone like Luckin to come along 
and do the delivery thing because the delivery thing was happening in so many other categories of, of life. Yeah, so l- let me visualize that for you. The biggest driver of this obviously was e-commerce. So, you know, players like Alibaba, Jingdong, who created a massive e-commerce culture. I remember one of my friends used to tell me that if you can't find it you know, on Alibaba or Jingdong, that thing doesn't exist in the world. Right. So the delivery didn't always get made in big trucks or vans. Most often when we would have something delivered at our home, somebody would come in a motorbike. And they would have packages very neatly, safely organized all across the motorbike. I could get anything, whatever I want from anywhere in Shanghai. And for a fraction of a cost, I think for three or four yuan, I could have food delivered to my office from a store of my choice. And the delivery wasn't done by the noodle shop. It was done by a third party who would ensure that you would do that. Okay. And the other thing, Jeffrey, was, was phenomenal was that not only it was this delivery, but let's say if I needed to send a package to you, Jeffrey, mm. and I don't want to put it in the mail, I would call this delivery service. Somebody would come on a motorbike. They would pick the package from me for, I think, four or five uh, renminbi, which is less than a dollar. They will deliver wow. it to your house on the same day. And they will send me a confirmation on my mobile phone that the package has been delivered if in case you forgot to call me and say, Shakir, I got your package. Well, Shakir, thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Jeffrey. It was a pleasure to speak to you. Personally speaking, I was blown away when I heard that Costa estimates that China will soon be among their top three coffee markets globally. But as we'll now hear from Jeremy Chang, a two-time Chinese barista champion and owner of a cafe and roastery, this growth and innovation is taking place even at the most bespoke end of the specialty coffee market. A little on Jeremy's coffee journey. For most of his life, his parents wanted him to help out and run the family business, but he opted to pursue his passion for coffee instead. He began his training in Melbourne 10 years ago and then opened a coffee business in Nanjing, a major city close to Shanghai. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. I wonder if you could tell us what the specialty coffee market looked like in China all those years ago. At the very beginning, back to, I would say, to 2008, 2010. So a coffee shop is more like a, like a symbol of a lifestyle status, a symbol of a Western life. And coffee itself doesn't really matter. In Melbourne, it's like a have so many brunch style coffee shop, but in, in China, it's it just for socialize and coffee itself, yeah. it's not really important. There's not many, so many local roasters. Mainly we used the imported brand like Ili Lavaza at that time. Not many people drink coffee. I'm not sure you read the statistics. Like I think less than two cups per year per adult. But actually, there was one advantage I just realized many years after, because we can't sell so many cups. So we have to charge much higher price for one cup. So the cost per cup is about five Australian dollars or four US dollars. Wow. That was so expensive. But why I'm saying that's advantage after 10 years, mm. Given this $5 charge and the price, you know, price never going down, always go up, but keep this $5. So you have a lot of room to improve your green coffee quality. So that was one of the reasons China catch up really quickly in the specialty coffee industry. I know in Italy, normally they charge you one euro per espresso when mm-hmm. you while standing. 
But if they charge three euros, they're running out of business because no one's gonna pay three euros for any type of coffee. <laughs> so, yeah. but in China, yeah. that's okay because we already set such a high price level. And the second thing is, eventually there will be more and more people to drink the coffee. So, based on like a marketing survey and statistics, now the growth rate is twenty percent. So every year, the annual growth the number of drinking people was at twenty percent. Wow. So, given this such a high growth, especially uh, during the economic downturn, a lot of people want to cash in, and also a lot of people want to open the coffee shop, and a lot of people start to drink in the coffee. So now in two thousand twenty one. In Shanghai, particularly, I think from the two cup per year, now we jump all the way to more than ten cups per year over the ten years. Fantastic! That's a that's incredible growth. Another reason is quite interesting. This、uh, is very unique、uh, situation in China because now we have really really advanced logistics systems and infrastructures. Yeah. So it's very easy for any coffee roasters or local home roaster coffee shops to do the online business. So that means you can do national business. So, for example, they not just sell the cup of coffees in in their own shop. They can sell the bag of roasted coffee beans online, and the cost from door to door, national wise, no more than three dollars per kilo. Wow! So, so that actually helps China to boost specialty coffee a lot. I think no matter where you are in the world, it's always risky to open the coffee shop. But back to five years ago, if you run the specialty coffee ro- roasters, you have a much higher chance to make money. So that also to stimulate the specialty coffee market. You know this twenty percent growth in China. Do you think that's going to continue for、uh, a few years to come? I'm pretty sure it will still at least another five years. The growth will keep the same because we still, as you know, it's still only ten cup per year from two cup per year. Yeah. But so we still have a long way to go. What does it look like as far as the big players now? The 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 really big players. Who's winning there? Starbucks for sure. Number one, they have like more than four thousand shops nationwide from three thousand two years ago. So you just imagine one、yeah. thousand shops more in less than two years. But in the meantime, we also have so many independent coffee shops, especially in Shanghai. Right. For example, in the Xintianji Zone, only forty percent of coffee shops are chain shop, and sixty percent are like independent. The independent shops just growing and growing. But there's another interesting thing I would like to discuss with you. While the independent shops growing bigger, so they start to become the chain. And a lot of investment equity start to wa- want to find the、uh, like a local Starbucks like shop to roll out in China. For example, there's one shop called Manner M A N N E R. The first shop started back to 2014-15. That shop doesn't even have a door, but they try to compete in terms of value for money. So what happened was it only cost 2.5 US dollars. Per milk beverage, like cappuccino latte,、yeah. if you bring your own cup, that's like about fifty cents less. Wow! So that was extremely successful business. Now they have a lot of investors to cash in. So this company now start to valued about one point three billion U.S. dollars. 
Whoa! So these are dark kitchens, are they? It, it was dark kitchen. You can you can see that. But now, why do you want to invest such big money? Because apart from Starbucks, they have the largest membership base. So they can leverage this membership base because China has a huge population. They can deliver coffee in much efficient and effective way. What are their plans? What are they trying to achieve in the next, say, three years? Uh, thousands of outlets, or yeah, you can see that. Southern that, but more importantly, they have online. They have a huge member base. They have yeah. a million, a millions of members for this wow. particular brand, and then they can do online business. They can not just sell the coffee. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's a big money. But in the meantime, a lot of independent shops they have their own way to play. Uh, they play small. But they play unique, so unique location, unique decoration. So in China, especially in Shanghai, I would say it's much easier to find a decent coffee shop compared to five years ago. And I think I got some figures like in Shanghai after COVID nineteen, in one month they opened like more than sixty coffee shops just in one city alone. What are the key business challenges for? Chinese、uh, coffee businesses, especially coffee shops, and also for roasters. Okay, on surface, <laughs> it's a rent <laughs> because if you want to find the golden spot, that that be very very expensive. That would be so crazy. For example, if you want to open a shop in Shintendi, it costs you like more than fifty yuan per square meters. Fifty yuan is about a ten dollars per square meters per day. So that was super super expensive, but okay, that's the extreme case. But still, the rent is really really high. But the true challenge underneath, I believe, is you need to find the right business model, because what happened now we have more and more coffee shops. Competition is definitely intensified. So people not not actually compete on the core products. Yes, we do have specialty coffee, but the coffee itself probably was not a main driven. Force to attract the people,、mm-hmm. but the decoration, ambient. It's always newer and、uh, better and more in- interesting design out there after five or th- six months. So, what do you really offer to make you stand apart? Is always a challenging questions. Why I'm saying、uh, China market grow really fast, but the competition is also intensified, and so the risk of running business、mm. is still quite high. To be honest with you, yeah. And, and is this still?、Uh, is this in terms of the customer profiles?、Uh, is this still kind of a wealthy customer, very highly educated professionals who are the ones that are consuming those ten cups per year, or is it becoming more democratic coffee drinking? I believe it's getting more democratic drinking because we can always compare to the cost of milk tea. Milk tea is like a China, like a daily drink beverage. So it's、mm. for、uh, the cost of on the milk tea is now around the four to five dollars. So which is quite similar of the cup of coffee. So if that price match, now it's just time to change your drinking behavior and habit. So it's just only matter of time, I believe. Well,、uh, that's been incredible, Jeremy. Thank you so much for joining us here at Fifth Wave. Thank you very much. I had a really great time. The room for coffee growth in China is absolutely astounding. Jeremy suggested that consumers are drinking an average of only ten cups per person per year. What's going to happen when they drink in the hundreds, like, for example, in neighboring Japan and Korea? And so, to close off this episode, we're going to speak with Gordon Chang. General Manager for Lamasaka, China. Gordon began his career in coffee 
after taking his first sip of Illy Espresso in a cafe in Los Angeles almost 30 years ago. Enamored with the drink, he visited Italy and went back to his home country of Taiwan and helped to build the Illy brand. Ten years later, in the early 2000s, he was invited to distribute Illy coffee in the nascent Chinese market, before eventually heading up Lama Tsoko's business in China. In this fascinating conversation, Gordon gives us an insight into China's tea drinking culture and the growth he sees for artisan coffee in this burgeoning market. Welcome, Gordon. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Could you tell me about how Chinese coffee drinking habits have changed over the years? 20 years ago, when I arrived in China, that's in 2001, um, that's 90-95% is uh, instant coffee. So we call the three-in-one, as you know, coffee, instant coffee, the sugar and creamer. But now I think the diversity with, uh, with all the international chain, they come into China, plus the local brand also is uh, booming. And the, the quality of the coffee has been improved very significantly. As I, you know, I start as early in almost uh, more than in China, it's more than almost 20 years. But of course, I retired from Italy three years, four years ago. But I must say, they use Italy as a quite a benchmark and you know, as a quality. But I must say, the quality of quality is, is really improved dramatically. At Allegra, we looked at the Chinese market a few years ago. It looked like there was a lot of growth of the chain operators entering the market, Starbucks, Costa, and various others. And the growth seemed to be all about large chain players. But we hear that there's a whole array of domestic players and also the big rise of specialty coffee in China. Is the, you know, the term specialty coffee becoming more important in China? The Chinese people, actually, I must say, their taste bud is very sophisticated. They really can appreciate the taste. So they, they really appreciate a good, good cup of uh, like tea as well. You know, it's a uh, is quite similar, you know, they, they appreciate the product and uh, they want to drink more. I must say, people is drinking coffee, they just put a, a milk or they put a cappuccino, cafe latte. And, uh, but when they start to drink a specialty coffee, then they start to understand the many single origin as its uh, characteristic. And it's really reflect like a tea, as you know, Chinese tea also have a different region and in different level and appreciation will be quite different or the way of preparation in the temperature, in the way of serving. So similar like a specialty coffee and also the way there's much more close to drink tea is much more like a, have more ceremony. And I feel is people are feel more relaxed when they get into the single origin specialty. But I, I would say in the percentage-wise, I think still very low. But in the way, I, I must say, in the long in the term, I, I feel people will be more appreciated once they get into this kind of coffee. And I just make example in now in Yunnan, as you know, we have very famous for tea plantation in Yunnan, the poor tea. But now in the past, I'll say almost, I think already 10 years. And the, the government is really putting a lot of help, support, and also from the international company and like Starbucks, like even Ely Cafe. I know they also sending people to help to upgrade the plantation of coffee. 
So right now, the Yunnan, I must say, the, the, the overall, the coffee quality, the green beans, the quality, not talking to volume, I think they're already in the top three in the world production output. But I think the quality-wise, they have been really improved a lot. Great. And, and how fast is the espresso machine market growing? The whole market definitely is growing because now not only coffee shop is a so-called cafe will serve coffee and many, many, even some like clothing shop, some florist shop. For sure, it's, uh, it's not like it used to be only the coffee shop, they serve coffee, but now it's more place. So they need a machine. And I think especially what we have in the last year, I would say 2020, I think every, everyone is a global, the, the COVID-19, many places have been locked down. But the one thing, as I say, as a Lamazoko, we experience actually there's more home that means more family is getting the espresso coffee machine, ah. which means uh, they couldn't get out freely. So, so they, they just uh, bought the machine at home. So they are prepared the espresso and the cappuccino at home. So actually last year has been close to more than double than what we performed a year before. And also what we find out is more, more people appreciate they feel i may drink three cups five cups uh, a family a day but they think i enjoy prepare the grinding the coffee and prepare the coffee and frost the milk you know it, it, it's a kind of relax okay so i think overall the espresso the coffee machine i, I would say for sure is still in the upgoing trend and that's for sure that's that's amazing it's great to see that sort of appreciation of quality coffee really rising in China. The other thing I'd like to understand is that some of the regional differences, you know, I think the statistics are there's something like 100 towns or cities in China with more than a million population, which is huge by so many standards, and probably that's an outdated number. So, I mean, how many cities do you think that this craft coffee, this quality coffee is going to? Are you selling machines to lots and lots of cities, or is it mainly the two or three biggest cities throughout China? The majority, I would, I would say around 50 to 60% still is the major so-called first-year city. You are talking to uh, Beijing, Shanghai, Chengdu, and uh, Guangzhou, Shenzhen. This is what we call more mature coffee drinking market. But I will give you a good example. Actually, during the last year, especially this uh, pandemic period, actually we sell a lot of machine to the second tier and third tier city. Then we find out the reason behind it because COVID-19 and uh, a lot of barista, they're working in Shanghai or Beijing, they're back home because after Chinese New Year, I mean, they couldn't come back because there's a lot of travel restriction. So we knew there's a lot of the family over in the countryside also feel they, they would like their children to be close by. And so the barista, they say, why, why we just open a, a cafe in their hometown? Wow. And actually, actually, uh, they are doing well because as we all know, the biggest challenge for the, you, you work in the first tier city is the, the rent, 
which account a, a big percentage of your overall operation costs. But the, for those people, they back home, they find a good location. Actually, the cost is, is much, much less. And yes, maybe the end cup price may be a little also lower. But at the end, because as I say, they are working in their hometown, the rent really is a big saving. Then they have very skillful and they learn all the skill in their cafe in, in big city. So actually, we prove and we have some statistics, actually, overall, they are doing well. So, so wow. and also one indication this year, we, we talked to some chain store in Shanghai or Beijing. They are very difficult to get barista. And for the fourth quarter, the third, fourth quarter after recovery, because many of the barista being stay home, they didn't come to their original job. So our statistics show we are selling a lot to the, what you call the second tier, third tier city. And this is a very good sign for all of us. Wow. Well, thanks so much, Gordon, for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate a good rating if you enjoyed this show. Also, get in touch with us and tell us what topics you'd like to hear so we can make this podcast more relevant to you and to your business. You can follow the link in the show notes to worldcoffeeportal.com slash fifth wave. This episode was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, the World Coffee Portal team, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. Today, we leave you with a track called Music Is There from Daisy Chute, winner of the Coffee Music Project, London 2018. Have a great week, and until next time, stay safe and stay caffeinated. You teach me to listen, you teach me to hear, you teach me to open up, live without fear, you teach me it's okay, do not be okay. You bring me to tears, bring me to my feet, a way to relate to those that I meet, when I am lost, you show me.
醉。